Welcome back to another Sound Truth interview. I'm your host, Adam Miller, and today I'm privileged to be joined once again by my good friend Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. This is a ministry that is so crucial, especially in our day and age, to be informed about what's happening around the world for the sake of of the gospel. Our brothers and sisters in Christ who are suffering in chains. There is a a blessing, the Bible says in the Sermon on the Mount, that blessed are those who are persecuted for Christ's name. But uh, we want to continue to pray for them because they need mercy and grace as well as a strengthening of their faith. It's always a privilege to have uh, Todd Nettleton with us. Uh, Thank you so much for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. Thanks so much, Adam. It's always fun to be with you, and uh, I look forward to our conversations. Why don't you get us started by telling us you've got something that's right here on the schedule that I'm really excited about. So tell us a little bit about the the Day of the Christian Martyr. Well, Day of the Christian Martyr is a day really to think about Christians who gave everything for the cause of Christ. You know, we have uh, International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians in the fall, in November, where we're praying for those who, who are still suffering, who are still going through that persecution and that suffering. Day of the Christian Martyr is a little different, because obviously for a martyr, their suffering is over. They've gone on to eternity. They've gone on to their reward. Uh, And so it is not a day of uh, sort of hero worship, but it's a day of hopefully contemplating what is it worth? What is it worth to share the gospel? What is it worth to see my neighborhood reached for Christ? What is it worth to see the nations reached for Christ? And so each year we hold up the example of somebody who said it's worth everything. It's worth my life to make that happen. This year we're talking about uh, John Chow, the young man who went to North Sentinel Island in 2018. Uh, He was killed literally within hours of arriving on the beach there. Uh, It's interesting because some of the past years on Day of the Christian Martyr, we've told the story of someone that nobody's ever heard of. Uh, And so it's somebody completely unknown John Chow is kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum. When his case happened, the story was told all over the world. There, there was a, There's a story in GQ about John Chow going to North Central Island. There were stories on NBC News all over the world. However, a lot of those stories really missed the mark. They, they missed the story. The, the presentation was, oh, here's this young man, completely unprepared, he just sort of woke up that morning and decided to go to North Sentinel Island. Um, we get to tell the story of a young man who God called him as a teenager, and every decision he made for nine years was focused on being prepared, getting ready to go to that island, to live among the people, to learn their language, to be able to share the gospel. And when I say every decision, I mean literally right down to All through college, John took cold showers because he said, hey, when I get to the island, I'm not going to have a hot water heater. I I need to get my body prepared for cold showers. He had LASIK surgery on his eyes because he said, when I'm on the island with no running water, how am I going to have contact lenses? That's not going to work. So when I say every decision, I I mean every single decision that he made was with an eye towards, I'm going to land on that beach. I need to to know how to interact with the people, I need to know how to learn their language, and I need to know how to share the gospel with them. That's why we're, we're telling this story this year for Day of the Christian Martyrs, really to hopefully tell the true story and, and open people's eyes to, to the example that John left us of faithfulness. 
it, it's a very interesting story because he was uh, he was really attacked by the mainstream media and you're if you're only getting one side of the story you're not getting the true story that's what one of the reasons i am so thankful for voice of their martyrs because uh, they are really getting to the heart of the story and telling it from the true perspective of of what is actually going on not through the skewed perspective of the mainstream media yeah the the mainstream media and you you kind of understand this if if you're not a believer and someone goes to a a far off island where it's it's not a tourist island there there's nothing there the people uh, are are dangerous they have killed outsiders before to a to a secular person to a non-believer that does look foolish uh, which is, you know, the Bible says we're going to look foolish. Uh, the, the wisdom of men or the, or the wisdom of God is so far advanced, and the wisdom of men the, is foolishness and uh, all of those things. So that part of the story, I think, is understandable. The, the real concern for us here at Voice of the Martyrs, and one of the reasons we really want to challenge people with John's story is there were some in the church that kind of said that too, like, hey— we should leave those people alone. Hey, you know, they're they're living on that island. Why would you, you know, why would you risk everything to go there? Uh, they're they're probably pretty happy. We should just leave them well enough alone. And it's like, wait a minute. You know, Jesus said go into all the world and make disciples. That that call hasn't expired. That call didn't go away if if you live on an island and you're isolated from the rest of the world. Jesus said go into all the world. And so the real sad thing, and as I have talked to the missions agency that sent John, I've talked to some of his friends, people who helped train him, that is what has really been sad to them, is is the criticism of John that came from within the church, within Christian circles, who said, why would he do that? Why would he go there? Why would he risk his life? Well, he would do that because that's what Jesus called us to do. Mm-hmm. What is the value of spending time, you've already kind of mentioned this, but uh, uh, spending time thinking about those who have already died? I think of uh, Hebrews uh, 12.1, encompassed by so great a cloud of witnesses, all those who have gone before us. It's not just those in the hall of faith in Hebrews 11. It's all of those who have, even within our present time, that have given their lives to Christ, given their lives for the sake of the advancement of the kingdom. To us, that sounds like foolishness, but that is what we're all called to do. It, it is what we're all called to do, and, and I think that's really the value of it, is just to look at these examples. And I think, you know, in, in my own personal story, my, my father, as when my brother and I were very young, my dad would read us missionary biographies. Uh, and he read us, you know, Bruchko by Bruce Olson and Lords of the Earth by Don Richardson and some of those uh, amazing missionary stories. And we, in some ways, idolized those missionaries. Like, we thought that was really cool. If, if you would grow up and be a missionary, that, that was a great thing. Like, like, if God allowed you to do that, boy, there's adventure there, there's excitement there, there there's danger, all those things that in a young boy you're like, wow, that, that would be really cool to do that. We need a little bit of that in the church as we see those who were willing to give their lives for Christ— we need to, to kind of be inspired by their example. We need to say, wow, you know, God has honored that person by allowing them this pathway, by choosing them for this pathway. And the other thing is just understanding the value of the gospel. John Chow would say it was 100% worth it to go to that island, even though he was only there a, a, a couple of hours. 
he would say it was 100% worth it because Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth my life. Even if I don't get to live that long, even if I don't get to learn the language, I don't get to share the gospel, Jesus is worth it. We need to be inspired by that example and reminded that, you know, whatever it costs us, and in our culture, it may cost us a little bit of embarrassment, it may cost us an awkward conversation, maybe it costs us a friendship or a relationship in our family, it's probably not going to cost us our life. It's probably not going to cost us our livelihood. Uh, we need to understand that even if it did, Jesus is worth that. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the reasons we bring you on the broadcast is to talk about the various news that's happening around the world, news that doesn't make it to our our news feed on social media or even in the mainstream media. Uh, what's actually happening with Christians that are being persecuted? And you've you've mentioned to me already uh, in a, in our previous conversation about Nigeria. Now, this is a this is a place we've talked about before. But give us an update of what's happening uh, in Africa as as far as the persecuted church. There have been a, a couple of really concerning incidents in Nigeria, even in the last you know six to eight weeks. Um, first, there was a, a Christian student, a college student, 25-year-old woman at a, at a teacher's college who was killed by a mob after alleged blasphemy. And the, the alleged blasphemy, it's very questionable what actually you know happened. There apparently was kind of a, a chat group message among her classmates. Uh, Muslims in the, in the group message began kind of talking about Islam and and, and sort of insulting Christianity. Uh, and this student apparently responded with, hey, you know, this, this group chat is really for us to talk about our assignments and our homework and our classes. It's really not for us to kind of evangelize each other and try to talk about religion and argue about religion. That seems to be what they labeled blasphemy, telling people not to talk about religion in the group chat. Uh, And like I say, she was literally stoned to death by a mob of her fellow students there in northern Nigeria. So that was concerning incident number one. Then the second thing happened just on, on a recent Sunday, a church attack in Ondo State, where more than 50 people were killed. The latest reports I've seen, they say now 40 people killed, but but 80-plus people injured in this attack. It seems very coordinated. Some of the gunmen went ending. Some of the gunmen stayed outside by the doors. And so as the church members tried to flee out of the church, there were gunmen outside waiting to, to shoot them as they came out of the church. So a very violent attack, a, a coordinated attack. And as I mentioned, in Ondo State, this is not in northern Nigeria where we typically see these kinds of attacks where Boko Haram has been active in, in previously. We still don't know who committed this atrocity. Nobody has claimed responsibility for it. Uh, but for you see a student being killed by a mob. You see a church being attacked and, and 40 people being killed on, in one Sunday worship service. If you're a Christian in Nigeria, naturally you look at that and say, are we safe? Is my family safe? If I go to church this Sunday, am I going to come home safely at the end of the service? It is very concerning for them. And uh, as we see these attacks, it's there's kind of a pattern. The government says all the right things. Oh, this is terrible. Oh, yes, we're going to do whatever it takes to find the culprits and hold them accountable. Oh, yes, we will protect Christians. 
And then a few weeks later, there's another attack. And and they go through the same speech. Yes, we're very concerned. I'll handle on this. And so, again, Christians in Nigeria have this sense of frustration and this sense of what does it take for our government to protect us? What does it take for us to be able to go and gather for worship safely? Uh, and so one of the things I really want to encourage our listeners to pray about is pray against that spirit of fear and that spirit of discouragement, because it, it, it is easy to get discouraged. It is easy to say, you know, why does this keep happening? What, what's going on here? Pray against that spirit of discouragement and, and pray that they will continue to be bold witnesses for Christ, even as they know, no matter where they are in the country, there is danger for standing up for Jesus in Nigeria. Mm. It's heartbreaking to hear uh, of these incidences taking place where Christians are being targeted uh, because they have, have been uh, they have been maligned by their communities as the problem. I think there, there's a growing sense, even Western civilization in, in in North America, even in Europe, where Christians are being targeted as the, the the problems in society, there's a growing fear even in the American church that this is going to happen to us as well. I, I think we can sort of see what happens when you take uh, Christians and target them as the problem, but that's something that is not just a potential problem in our world, it's happening in Nigeria on a daily basis. It is. And as you say, there often is that charge. You know, they use the word communal disharmony. Uh, the, the Christians are making problems because they're causing communal disharmony problems mad uh, because they're Christians. And it's like, wait a minute, what, who's attacking who? Who are the people that are getting killed here? It, it is, it's not the Muslims getting killed. It's people in a church on a Sunday morning in the middle of their worship service. Um, and, and so... It is frustrating, and one of the challenges for Christians in Nigeria and and for us as well is continuing to be a bold witness, even in the face of that criticism, even in the face of you know rejection and being called you know disharmonious, being called troublemakers, being called uh, bigots, uh, all of those names that that are sometimes hurled at Christians. Um, those things can hurt, and, and they are frustrating, but they don't change the call of Christ to continue to advance the kingdom, to continue to share the gospel. And uh, not that we're called on to be uh, sort of irritating in sharing the gospel, but we are called to be winsome, and we're called to continue on even in the face of difficulty. Mm-hmm. We've also got some scary reports coming out of Eritrea, and uh, this is something you're definitely not going to see on your uh, news feed uh, at the the, the primetime news hour. So tell us a little bit about what's happening there. Well, there has just been another set of Christians arrested in the nation of Eritrea. The, the current number is right around 300 Christians now currently in custody. Uh, the interesting thing about these recent arrests, there, there were families meeting together. The children were also taken to the police station. So it wasn't like, oh, we're going to arrest the pastor. He's leading this meeting. Or, oh, we're only going to arrest the adults. It was everybody who's here, we're taking all of you to the police station. And so it was parents along with their children. Uh, And as I say, about 300 Christians right now incarcerated in Eritrea. And I always, when I talk about the Christians in Eritrea, I always try to remind people, not a single one of those Christians has even been formally charged with a crime. 
None of them have had a trial. None of them have had a lawyer that was allowed to represent them. Um, you simply, just like these families, you go into the prison system and nobody knows when you're going to come out. Maybe it's a few days, maybe it's weeks, maybe it's years. Uh, there are Christians that I met when I visited Eritrea who have now been in prison more than 17 years. And again, no trial, no charges, no, it's not like they were sentenced to 20 and they're 17 years into their 20 year sentence. There is no sentence. <laughs> there is no guilty verdict. There, there was no trial. They simply are in prison until somebody decides to let them go. And, and so you can imagine how just how hopeless that would be, like like not knowing what's going to happen, not knowing how long you'll be there. Uh, but we have also heard some amazing stories from inside those prisons uh, of people coming to faith. Uh, at one point, I heard a story from Eritrea that they actually built a prison specifically to put all the Christians in uh, because the Christians were leading other people to Christ uh, and so they wanted to separate them out. They wanted to get them away from the other prisoners uh, because they kept evangelizing and kept sharing Jesus. So um, even in the midst of, of really heartbreaking stories, the, the gospel is advancing and, and God is working. Mm. You know, we heard about uh, pastors being uh, arrested up in Canada, just north of our border, and, and going to jail because they were continuing to meet with COVID restrictions. And now there's even some more laws that are concerning, even in our Western culture, that maybe we might uh, be sentenced to jail for breaking some minor infraction. But all of these things are still being worked out. You can understand the laws. There's a lot of public outcry against it. Uh, but that pales in comparison to just being a Christian, not breaking any sort of restrictive law of, of meeting under COVID rules and, and all these other things. They're literally just being uh, persecuted and sentenced to jail as as followers of Christ, that is so far from us to be able to comprehend. It is It is very hard for us to, to comprehend. And one of the amazing things, that one of the blessings that we have as Americans and as, as people who live in a free nation is we have the opportunity to go to court and represent ourselves and say, well, wait a minute, this, is, this was unjust. This shouldn't have happened. Uh, you think about some of the pastors I met who've been in jail in Eritrea for 17 years, they've never even been charged with anything. Like it's not, they, they never had a chance to argue their case or argue about, wait a minute, what I was doing was, was right. You just, the police come, they arrest you and you're gone. And you, you don't know how long, you don't know where. Oftentimes their families for, for months don't know where they're being held or aren't able to have any communication with them. Um, it is just so far from our experience, and for us as as North Americans, it, it kind of almost makes my head explode to think about, like, like you're, you can't do that. You can't just arrest people and not charge them with anything. But in a place like Eritrea, in a place like China, in a place, you know, like Iran, you can. You can literally be snatched off the street and, and just got sent. Um, and so it helps us. You know, as you say, there, there are many challenges to our faith here. The, the society is turning against the Christian faith. I don't, I don't think you can interpret what's happening any other way, but we still have a lot of blessings and a lot of protections simply because we were born in America uh, that many of our brothers and sisters around the world don't have. Mm. With all of the, the heartaches of what's happening, and uh, I'm so grateful for the ministry of Voice of the Martyrs reminding us and keeping us up to date at what's happening around the world. 
it's not always doom and gloom. Uh, you have some a lot of really great stories, and we've been hearing for for a while now a lot of great stories coming out of Iran. One one of those countries that we all, always see in the news, and yet know very little about. You have given us some great insight about what uh, some of these amazing stories coming out of Iran. There is a great hunger for the gospel in Iran, and um, it is in many ways. God has used the Islamic government to turn people against Islam because uh, the economy is in shambles, the the country is frustrated, the people are frustrated, and, and the government says everything we do according to Islamic principles. We're running this country just exactly how the Quran tells us to run it. And so after 40 years of that, the people look around and say, well, if, if this is what following the Quran gets you— we don't want to follow it anymore. We don't want to do that anymore. What else is out there? And so there is that that hunger for something else, something that works, something that doesn't produce poverty. It doesn't produce the highest drug addiction rate in the world. Um, and, and so there's that hunger for the gospel. And I just got a story this week from uh, one of our contacts inside Iran. This is an Assyrian family. So they traditionally Christian family. The the people of Iran would look at their family and say, oh, you're Christians, uh, as Armenians would be the same way. They would say, oh, Armenians are Christians. Okay, that's fine. So every child in Iran in a public school goes to what a religious education class, and for the Muslim kids, it is an Islamic education, but for the you know Armenians and Assyrians and people who are traditionally Christian, they are not required to go to this Islamic studies class. But uh, one of our contacts recently, their daughter, there, there was a new teacher that day, there was some confusion, and she ended up in this Islamic studies class. And the teacher began to ask questions, and when it got to her turn, the teacher asked her a question, and and all the other students said, "Oh, she's a Christian. You shouldn't. She didn't answer that question." Uh, but this young girl answered the question anyway, and started talking about Jesus, and started talking about what the Bible says, and an amazing thing happened. the The teacher said, "Hey, next week in our Islamic studies class." We're actually going to turn the whole class over to this girl. We want to hear about what Christians believe, what what the Christians think. So, so next week she's going to get a chance to share with us. And then after class, that teacher actually asked her for a Bible. And said, "Hey, could you could I borrow a Bible? Could you get me a Bible? I'm interested. I'd like to read a little more." Um, so, all all because this little girl ended up in the quote unquote wrong classroom. Uh, the the classroom where she wasn't supposed to be, God used that to to present an opportunity to share the gospel, and, and thankfully she was faithful in that situation. Uh, but I think you see the hunger of Iranian people when when even the Islamic instructor in the class says, "Hey, do you have a Bible I could borrow? I I really want to read the Bible. I, I want to know what what the Christians believe." Mm. It's amazing to see what's happening in Iran. It's a, it's a country that we hear about quite a bit in the main. So something we only hear about from a negative point of view. It's hard to see the amazing things and remember that there are Christians on the ground, that there are people that are really struggling, but there's also some amazing things accomplished for the kingdom when those Christians, although persecuted, are able to live out their faith in a genuine way. It, it is amazing to see God work, and 
Um, you know, I've heard some of the most amazing stories from people in Iran who are following Jesus Christ and the the hunger of the God. I've had someone tell me, an Iranian Christian tell me, if if you will just say Jesus out loud, people will come and talk, like people will come and say, did you say Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Could you tell me more? I'm interested to know more about him. I've, I've heard this. I've heard this. Is that true? And uh, there is just so much curiosity and so much hunger uh, that the church almost can't help but grow. And the government, obviously, the Islamic government is very frustrated by that. They are very upset that all of the persecution, all of the what they cannot stop the church in Iran from growing. Mm. Well, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail Amen. against the advancement <laughs> uh, of the church. Uh, one of these other stories you shared with me is this uh, great, I think it's an amazing story of what's happening in Bangladesh. Uh, tell us a little bit about what just uh, recently you've uh, uncovered. This is another story that I just heard this week. In fact, we were recording for an upcoming episode of Voice of the Martyrs Radio, and uh, it, it comes from Bangladesh, and, and it's the story of an imam who was, you know, Imam is an Islamic leader, so he is the leader of a local mosque there in Bangladesh, and he's reading the Quran, and he sees mention of Isa, Jesus, and and he starts to wonder, well, you know, how can I, you know, if the, if the Quran is talking about this Isa, I, as an Islamic leader, I should probably know more about him, and so he, he wants to know more, and he asks around, and, and he actually gets his hands on a Bible, and he starts to read. And he starts to read about Isa, Isa al-Masih, Jesus the Messiah, who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And and he actually starts to share in his mosque <laughs> what, what he's reading about Isa al-Masih and this, these verses. And, and Jesus is the way of salvation. Jesus says he is the way of salvation. And the people in the mosque start saying, well, you're a Christian now. And honestly, I, I think his first response was, no, 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 I'm, I'm just telling you what the Holy Book says. You know, the, the Holy Book says that, that Isa al-Masih, the Quran talks about Isa, and, and so I went and found out what Isa said, and, and Isa said he is the way, the truth, and the life. And, but eventually, the, you know, he did become identified as, as a follower of Christ. His own brothers actually beat him. Uh, to try to get him to return to Islam. So he paid a very heavy price, and he said one of the things that happened, in, in their culture, it is very, it's very ingrained that you respect your elders. You respect your, your father and your uncles and your grandfather. That is a very big part of their culture. He said one of the hardest things for him was his nephew— came and slapped him across the face, knocked him down. It was a obviously physically painful, but the disrespect to have someone younger than him come and slap him in the face and, and say bad things about him and, and embarrass him and shame him in, in that context, he said that was one of the hardest things. Uh, but he is not given up. He's not given up his faith. He is being discipled now and, and trained up and already quite an evangelist. And you think about who better to talk to Muslims about Jesus than a former imam who was leading a mosque uh, to be able to answer their questions. If anybody can compare the Quran and the Bible, it is this imam. Uh, and so he is being discipled and trained and evangelizing Muslims, uh, all because 
you know, this started out with him reading the Quran and seeing that the Quran mentions Jesus and wanting to know more. Hmm. It's a modern-day Apostle Paul. Uh, and this is a, 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 just a remarkable story of, of how God will um, bring up people that can reach their own people for the sake of the kingdom of God in just a remarkable, complete turn of events. This is really what we long to see in the kingdom. Amen. And these are the signs that God is at work, even where it seems there's tragedies all around us. God has not given up on his people. He has not. And, you know, we often talk about hostile and restricted nations, places where Christians are persecuted. And you would think that would slow down the growth of the church. Uh, but in some amazing supernatural way, it, it actually has the opposite effect. It, it really, you know, even even for those who are watching Christians be persecuted, they wonder in their hearts, well, why why would you take a beating rather than just say, fine, I'll be a Muslim again? What is it about this Jesus that you're willing to take a beating, that you're willing to go to jail? Uh, in the case of John Chow, that you're willing to give your life what is it about Jesus? I, it just raises so many questions in the hearts of those who are observing. Uh, and then the Holy Spirit comes in and helps guide them, guide those questions to, to truth. Mm. One of the things that uh, you always encourage us to do, especially when considering our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who are suffering in chains, is to pray for them. It's actually what you say is the number one request, is to pray for them. So, uh, could you lead us in prayer and demonstrate for us how we can pray for our brothers and sisters around the world? I'd be honored to do that. Let's pray together. Father, we lift up our brothers and sisters around the world who are suffering for the name of Christ. Uh, Lord, I think of our brothers and sisters in Nigeria who face the constant threat of attacks. And as we have seen uh, attacks in places where there there didn't used to be attacks— Lord, we pray for your protection over our brothers and sisters there. And uh, Father, I pray that they would not grow weary in doing good, but that they would continue boldly advancing the kingdom and sharing the gospel with their neighbors and with the people around them. Lord, don't let them grow discouraged. Don't let them give in to fear, uh, but give them encouragement. Lord, I also think of our brothers and sisters in Eritrea, and I, I think of Pastor Haile, who's been in prison for more than 17 years. I, I think of these families who were just arrested a, a couple of weeks ago, uh, just getting used to life in prison. Lord, we pray for their release. We cry out for their release. But Lord, if, if that's and we pray that you would give them grace and you would give them strength. Lord, allow them to have enough to eat today. Uh, allow them, Lord, to be healthy. If, if they are hurting, if they are sick, bring healing and, and sustain them physically. Lord, though, we pray for, for their spiritual health. We pray that they will know your presence and that you will be with them. And, and Father, would you, just, would you just remind them that they're not alone, that, that we're praying for them? Somehow, even, even in this moment as we pray together, let them know that somebody is praying for them, somebody is remembering them, uh, and that the body of Christ has not forgotten them. Father, I also want to pray for us as, as your followers in places where we have freedom. Lord, help us to use the freedom we have. Help us not to take it for granted, but, but to use it to boldly advance your kingdom and to share your grace with the people we meet 
the people who live next door to us, the people who we work with, the people we go to school with, help us to be bold witnesses for Christ in whatever circle we are in, uh, in, in the same way that we see our brothers and sisters around the world doing so. Thank you, Lord, for being a, a part of the body of Christ, for the privilege we have of being connected with brothers and sisters all around the world, for being part of your family. Uh, we just recognize that that's an amazing privilege, and we thank you, and we pray for our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We've been talking with Todd Nettleton from Voice of the Martyrs. If you want to stay connected with the church around the world, especially in knowing how to adequately pray for our brothers and sisters, as well as be encouraged by their testimonies and their witness for the gospel, you really need to follow Voice of the Martyrs. Uh, Todd, to find out more information about your ministry, where should our listeners go? Persecution.com is the main Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com. We've got a lot of resources right now about Day of the Christian Martyr. There's actually a short video about John Chow that you can download and share in your church, share in your Sunday school class. Uh, but all of that starts persecution.com. And Todd, it is always a privilege to have you with us. Thank you for updating us what's happening around the world for uh, the church, and also encouraging us uh, on behalf of all of those persecuted Christians to keep them in our prayers. Thanks for being a part of the Many Voices for that one message. It has been my pleasure. Thank you for having me.